I say thank you to Tim. I'd turn around to look at you and thank you, but I'd probably fall off, and that'd really slow things up. So I know you're back there. Thank you, Tim. There you are. Thank you. Um, and also, I just want you to know, just because I'm not preaching next week doesn't mean anything. I won't be here. I'll be preaching at a different church. It's a little church that um, every once in a while they need somebody to fill in, and I'm kind of their fill-in guy. So uh, I won't be here next week, but it's not because I don't love you and I don't like being with you because I love being with you, and I've appreciated preaching these last few weeks, so thank you. Um, My absence next week means nothing. Um, I'll be back the following week. Um, So let me say a quick prayer as I prepare to pray. Lord, as we just prayed, may your word to us be living bread, which we feed upon and which we live by. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable to you, my Lord, my God. Amen. This week, we we follow up right where we left off, Um, and it's called Understanding the Loaves. This is a passage where Jesus walks on the water, and most people in your Bibles, it might even say, Jesus walks on water. But it's really, that is a true miracle, it's an amazing thing. But the last verse talks about the understanding of the loaves. We'll get to that. So really, what this passage is about is understanding what had just happened. So a real quick review from last week. The disciples had gone out two by two uh, to, to preach and to cast out demons. Jesus had said to them, take no money and take no bread. They gathered back with Jesus after their, their missionary tours out there, and a lot of people are with them. They follow them right back. And as they regather, it says that there are so many people, there was no time even for them to eat. And Jesus says, okay, here's what we're going to do. Let's get in the boat, go to the other side of the, of the Sea of Galilee, and let's go to a lonely place and let's rest. The people see this, and they run ahead. And they get there ahead of Jesus and, and, and the disciples. And when Jesus gets out of the boat, he looks at these 5,000 people with the microphone falling off their ears. And it says that they, they look like, uh, like she, they were just existing. And they look like sheep without a shepherd. And so Jesus has compassion on them. And he starts teaching And then the disciples come up to Jesus and they say, you know, it's getting late, Jesus. Send the people away. And let us tell you why you need to send the people away. Send them away so that they can get food. You do this, Jesus. And Jesus says, no, you get them something to eat. And they say, what? We're supposed to buy buy a year's worth of bread? Seriously? And then give it to them? And Jesus said, all right. How many fish do you have? And how many bread? How much bread? Go see. And they go, five and two. And Jesus says, all right. He lifts the bread to heaven. He blesses it. He gives it to the disciples. And they feed everybody. And there's 12 baskets full of left of bread. Can you just see if this, I think you need to make it broader. Because it keeps falling off. And I don't want this to be distracting. Thank you. 
Bonnie Patterson, everybody, my wife. <laughs> what would I do without her? There was something here at the feeding of the 5,000 that the disciples needed to learn, and they didn't learn. And so this really interesting uh, next verse comes up. And this is what it says. Immediately, immediately, they pick up the bread, okay, to a basket fold, and immediately he made his disciples get into a boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. Immediately this happened. No time for them to say goodbye. No time for them to process anything. Immediately. And then this one word made. You know what it means? It means to compel or force. Nowhere else in the Gospels does Jesus make his disciples do anything. He doesn't make them do anything. He doesn't force them to do anything. And we cannot miss that here. He made his disciples, immediately made his disciples get into the boat. It's used only in the Gospel of Matthew for the exact same story. Okay? The only place where his disciples are made to do something. They were told to go away just like the disciples had told Jesus he needed to send the people away, the sheep, right? They came to him and said, send them away. And Jesus said, not going to do it. Uh Uh-uh. But when it's all said and done, what Jesus does is he sends them away. He makes them get into a boat and go away. So you know right from the beginning of this this pericope that people are going, we're getting ready. There's, There's a lesson here to be learned. That's what's happening. And after... He had taken leave of them. He went up on the mountain to pray. Now, that word taken leave, I wish was a little bit different translation. Um, and, and I apologize, sort of, kind of, um, for talking about Greek words and Greek stuff sometimes. Um, Bonnie had a professor, Professor Stein at Bethel College, and he used to tell her, you know, when you, when you read in English, it's like black and white TV. But when you read it in Greek, it's like color. So what I try to do by bringing stuff up, and I, I hope you don't mind that I do this, is because it lends a little bit of color to the text that isn't there otherwise. So when it says, after you had taken leave, it's a formal way of saying goodbye. And Jesus really doesn't do it anywhere else either. He makes them get in a bow, which he doesn't really do anywhere else, and, he, and he, he says goodbye to them. That's what he does. Jesus, over the course of the day of teaching has grown close to these people. He's taught them. He's fed them. They're going. He's got a few things to finish up, and he wants to say farewell, goodbye. He's he's drawn to a close, and then he prays. You know what would be great? Is if the disciples were still there and we heard what Jesus prayed, right? I wonder what he's saying, especially in light of what's going to happen, but we don't know. But Jesus is always praying. Of that we do know. And he prays oftentimes by himself. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was uh, alone on the land. Now there's that word was. Remember where it said the people were out? Jesus saw it, and they were like sheep. 
and we said the word is existing, is the same thing here. It's the, it's the same thing. The people that sh- were like sheep without a shepherd. They were existing like sheep without a shepherd. And in this verse, we're going to add just, we're going to add something to it. A better, uh, uh, they existed just like the people existed out on the green grass. These disciples are existing out on the sea. And Jesus was on the land. This is really... Can, can you just, just put it in my pocket? I apologize, everybody. This is usually... For 30 years, I wore a tie. <laughs> and so this is a really different experience for me to not have a tie and a suit jacket and put my microphone in my pocket. So it's a little different. So the people, the, the, the disciples are existing on the, out in the sea. And Jesus was alone on the land, just like the people were existing in, in, uh, on the green grass. So all of a sudden you're beginning to say, oh, this is a little bit like the feeding of 5,000, isn't it? But directed specifically at the disciples. And then we had to add a little bit more, okay? Because this is actually what it says. And when evening came, the boat existed out. But the word isn't on. In Greek, it's in. And then there's a word there that isn't in most. It's in the Greek, but it's not in most English translations because it seems to be redundant. And Mark kind of gets a bad rap for being redundant, but it's still really important. So literally what it says, and when evening came, the boat existed out in... And then, and then this word that isn't translated in English, but it's there in Greek, in the middle of the sea. So existed in, in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. They were just existing in the middle of the sea. Here's the point, and it's a really important point. The disciples wanted Jesus to tell the people to leave, wanted the sheep to leave, and Jesus wouldn't. But Jesus now makes the disciples and forces them to leave. They're going to experience now what it's like to be apart from Jesus. Send them away. I don't want to send them away. I will not send them away. As soon as the miracle happens, Jesus says, you go away. I want you guys to walk in their shoes for a moment. They, you're going to experience what they would experience if they were to walk away from me right now, it's a, you're going to need to walk in their shoes kind of moment. All right. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. Now here's the thing. I have that picture of a cat and a mouse. The cat is, is the wind and the mouse is the disciples, right? They can't get away. They are going nowhere fast. It's not going to happen. That word painfully is really interesting. The word painfully in Greek means to subject to severe distress, to torment, or to harass. Do you think that little mouse is being harassed? Do you think that little mouse is being tormented? Now you're experiencing what the disciples are experiencing. And they're, they're kind of getting a sense, Jesus, if Jesus had sent the people away, 
it would have been, wouldn't that have been good? They weren't ready to leave. They didn't want to believe, leave. It was the disciples' idea to send them away, not the people's. They're being harassed. One Greek writer uses this word to describe the pro, uh, to describe uses that word uh, to describe. Uh, he says it was to torture gold in fire. To torture gold in fire. So they're making no headway against the wind. None. They're being tortured. It's hard. So I thought, okay, what would be a, sort of a modern day equivalent? And you see if I'm right with this or not, okay? See what it is? It's train. How many of you got to train by our house to get to downtown or any place? You have to cross a train track. And that train is always, always going to come when you're in a hurry. When you're not in a hurry, there's never, ever any train. When you're in a hurry, there's always a train. And just when the train going this way, you're like, oh, finally, 102, 149, 150 done. A train comes the other way. And you're going, oh, my goodness. And you are being tortured, right? You're going to go, I'm going to go. So now imagine what's happening if you're trying to qualify for the Boston Marathon. This is exactly what happened to 100 runners in Pennsylvania as a train crossed the marathon course, and it crossed it very slowly. One runner who was uh, using the race as his last opportunity to qualify for Boston, said that he missed the qualifying time by eight minutes. You know how long it takes a slow-moving train to cross the crossing? Probably eight to ten minutes. The race officials had communicated with the railroad line that prior to, uh, prior to race day, and they had received absolute assurances that trains would not, would, that they would be suspended during the race. Yet those assurances didn't stop the train from crossing, uh, from crossing. The incident is especially regrettable and was quite unexpected, the Marathon's uh, account posted on Facebook, noting that those times that were affected would be addressed on a runner-by-runner -runner basis. How are you supposed to do that? How are you going to address that? Maybe somebody has the run of their life. I, I, it's, it's not right, is it? I'm going to give you one more example that happened to me. My brother, Benno, is his name, B-E-N-N-O, German name. Six foot two, blonde hair, blue eyes, fair skin. Doesn't look a thing like me, but we are brothers. And he called me up and said, Stuart, I want to run the Chicago Marathon with you. And I was like, uh, yeah. And he's like, no, I'll do all the work. I'm like, yeah. Tri uh, sorry, it's the triathlon, the Chicago triathlon. So here's what we did. I flew out to Chicago, and we devised a way to swim. And we practiced at the YMCA. He came out here. We practiced the swim at this YMCA in, in Lombard. He, uh, we bought a special bike that I could recline on, and I kind of bike, but it attached to his bike, and he rode it. All right? 
So we had the swimming part, we had the, the biking part, and uh, for the running part, it was just more biking. And here's the thing. The Chicago Triathlon approved it all. He wrote them, told them how we were going to do it. We were signed up for the handicap part of it. They were all in. One week before I was, we were registered to run, and we had spent money on wetsuits and a special ways to, for him to swim while I basically held on for life. You know, it was crazy. You know, the people at the YMCA, all the lifeguards were like, <laughs> you know, they're like getting ready to jump in. They're like, okay, okay. And then we'd get out and they're like, wow, we're really proud of you guys. Yeah, because I didn't die. <laughs> but one week before the Chicago Marathon, uh, triathlon, my brother gets this message. You can't, you can't race. Well, Why? Your bike doesn't make a sharp, sharp enough turn. Well, actually it did, and we certified that it, it was within 10 feet. I mean, we cleared the turn. Well, oh, well, well, we just don't think it, it's safe for you. How do other people do it? Same exact way. Well, why couldn't we do it? In other words, we were going nowhere with the Chicago Triathlon. They gave us no reason, no good reason. Somebody from uh, my church found, you know, found out that this was happening, and I really didn't broadcast it. I mean, I told a friend or two what was happening, and they got a hold of Channel 5. <laughs> Channel 5 called me, and I wouldn't give them the story. I didn't want to bring the, the church into that kind of focus. Disturbed pastor. Can't run in triathlon. Come here and preach on Sunday. <laughs> He's a happy guy. <clears throat> so do you think that knowing Christ was on my team, that knowing Christ was in my boat made a difference for me? It did. It did. And for my brother, we were disappointed. We are not going to go anywhere with the Chicago triathlon. We weren't going to go anywhere with it. And I wasn't about to bring it to the news to shame anybody. But it was wrong. Maybe there's things where you go nowhere. And maybe you've been wronged. And maybe there's a train that just can't move fast enough for you to get on with your life. When Christ, but Christ is not in the boat with his disciples. With me, triathlon, Christ was with me. But not with disciples. If you can't turn to Christ, you're going nowhere. And that's part of the lesson of, of this incident. If you can't turn to Christ, you're going nowhere. And it's only going to get worse. And it gets worse in this, in this uh, text. And about the fourth watch of the night, which is somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. in the morning. So, and, and they're not... They're not crossing from one shore to the other like this. They're, they're kind of going, starting here like in Capernaum, they're just going up like this. It's a very short way. They're not crossing the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is about 15 miles across at the widest. And they're only probably going about six or seven miles. And they only get to the middle of where they're going to. They're stuck in the middle of the sea. They're in the water. Jesus is on the water 
just like he is on the land. And this is the next big point to this, to this text. The lake is not an obstacle to Jesus. It's not an obstacle. For us, we have to swim to get across. We have to boat to get across. We have to build a, uh, a bridge to get across. We have to take a ferry to get across. Water is an obstacle for us. Even a little bit, if it's a hard rain in Chicago, we're not going under the overpass, right? Because it's all filled with water, and it's an obstacle to us. But water is not an obstacle for Jesus. He is on the water just like he's on the land. The wind is not an obstacle to Jesus, right? The disciples have this headwind, and they are going nowhere, and Jesus is just walking across. What takes them all night to get halfway across, Jesus dismisses the crowd, says his goodbye, he goes up to pray, and he's walking right past them. And I don't know what your translation says, but he's not going to them, he's going towards them. And we know that it should be translated towards because he meant to pass them by. Now, the reason the wind and the waves are an obstacle to the disciples is because, why? Jesus is not in the boat with them. That's why. Jesus is not in the boat. He's not with them. They're existing without Jesus. And when you exist without Jesus, all kinds of things become obstacles that shouldn't be obstacles. Your obstacles may be financial. They may be physical. They may be social. They may be marital. They may be family. Maybe you haven't talked to a brother or sister in a long time. You'd be surprised how many church people have family members that are not believers, and they don't want nothing to do with you. Or maybe there's something else going on in the family. Maybe it's a health issue going on. Your obstacle may be any number of things. And we exist with these issues in our lives, don't we? And maybe you feel like the headwinds in your life make it feel like you're stuck. And you're just not going anywhere. But do you realize that none of these things are obstacles for Jesus? None of them are obstacles for Jesus. And do you know that Jesus wants the disciples to get to the other side? He really wants them to. He wants them to experience what it's like without him. Jesus tests us sometimes. He says, oh, try it. You think you can do it by yourself? Go ahead. Try it. I can't get anywhere, Jesus. I know, but sometimes you have to learn it yourself, right? But he wants us to get to the other side. And Jesus wants you to get to the other side. He wants you to overcome those obstacles. And remember, he sees you. He saw the disciples struggling. And he intended to walk on by as if, as if to say, I'm here, but you guys didn't want me. I'm here, but you guys wanted to send me away from the sheep. I'm here. I'm just going to pass you by. But he saw their struggle. And he sees your obstacles. And Jesus is going to do something about it. This reminded me of Romans 8.37, which says this. Oh, what are the obstacles uh, to us are not obstacles to Christ. And then, uh, and then uh, Romans 8.37. No, 
in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure, of, I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything in all of creation, no wind, no wave, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Jesus sees them. He's going to let them struggle for a while because there's something they need to learn and there's no other way. This doesn't mean that we won't face storms. Jesus conquered sin and death on a cross. And sometimes our victory comes by the way of a cross that we bear. We just need to know that. But it also means that we will always um, bear the cross with Jesus. Always. Never alone. We face the storm. We face the, in the train tracks. We face the injustice of a race with Christ who will never leave us and never forsake us. This is why the disciples should have never told the, Jesus to leave the people. They needed Jesus. They wanted Jesus with them. They're like sheep without a shepherd. Are you going to send the shepherd away? I don't think so. When we bear a cross, we need Jesus. Do you think the disciples will connect the feeding of the 5,000 with what they're going through? This is where it gets worse. Remember I said it would get worse. When Jesus is not in the boat, it gets worse. But when they saw him coming towards them, walking on the sea, on the sea, like dry ground, they thought it was a ghost. And they cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. When they, it says they cried out, the last time we read that word cried out is when demons left a human being that Jesus was casting them out of. The demons shrieked. They cried out. So the disciples are shrieking like the demons did. They are going crazy, right? And then terrified. Homer uses that word often, 12 different times, uh, in the sense of, uh, in the physical sense of throwing horses into confusion. You know what that looks like, right? You've all seen that in the movies. You know, the, the I don't know, but they all go crazy. Horses running everywhere, shrieking. Oh my gosh, it's a ghost. What are we going to do? We're not going anywhere. We can't, we can't row faster. Go, Peter. Go, Peter. I'm rowing, Thomas. You row. Are you rowing? I'm rowing. They're going crazy. So it does get worse. And, and this, is, this is even worse. They do not recognize Jesus. They don't recognize him. It's dark. They're tired, and their progress is painful and tortured. Thinking about Jesus is not even on their mind. They want one thing and one thing only. What is that? To get to the other side. No one's thinking about Jesus. No one's calling out for Jesus. No one's saying, Jesus, Jesus, see us. We need your help. Just get to the other side. Row. 
Just row, there's a ghost coming. Disciples don't recognize Jesus. They're thinking about themselves. They're just existing. And they just want to get to the other side. That's when it's difficult. That's when it's the most difficult for us to recognize Jesus, isn't it? It's most difficult for us to recognize Jesus when we are preoccupied with what we want. When we're preoccupied with our desires. When we're preoccupied with what we want to see happen. It's all about me. And when they asked Jesus to send the people away, what was it about? It was about them. They were tired. They were hungry. They'd been listening to Jesus all day. And it was time for Jesus to to let the people go. And they told Jesus that. Chutzpah is what that is. This event sounds remarkably like the feeding of the 5,000, doesn't it? They're tired. They're hungry. And they have only their issues on their mind. And because of it, they can't recognize Jesus. But immediately... And Mark uses that word immediately all the time in this gospel. But immediately, he spoke to them and said, take heart. The word heart is not there. The word isn't actually heart. It's a word that means, cardia is what heart is in the Greek. It's a word that means take courage. Have courage. It's an imperative. Be courageous, you guys. Come on. It's me. Do not be afraid. Again, that's a command. Don't be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they're utterly astounded. For they did not understand. Oh, here it is. For they did not understand about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Be courageous. I'm with you. You notice what happened. You remember what happened in the feeding of 5,000? When Jesus saw them like sheep without a shepherd, he began, he had compassion on them and did what? He spoke, right? And all of a sudden they were good. And they're good all day long. What happens here? Jesus speaks. And then what? Everything's okay. Everything's okay. You see, when we listen to Jesus, it just changes everything. It changes everything. They were astounded. They have no categories for this, and they're without answers. So what is it that they didn't understand about the loaves? They didn't understand that Jesus was the bread that they needed. The crowd was being fed by Jesus. Why weren't they? They did not understand that they needed Jesus in the boat to realize that they did not see a ghost. They did not understand that they needed to hear Jesus' voice say, Take heart, it's I, do not be afraid, to allay their fears. They did not understand that they needed Jesus, Jesus' presence, before the wind would cease and before they could make any progress. In short, they needed Jesus in the boat, speaking to them, just like uh, the people needed Jesus on the green grass, speaking to them. The disciples were utterly astounded and without understanding because their hearts were hardened. 
So let me finish with this and then give three takeaways. They were tired and hungry. They felt like pe- that people had invaded their vacation spot Jesus had taken them to in the feeding of 5,000 and had taken their time away. And they thought it was time to send Jesus away. And here's the point. Thinking only of ourselves and our agendas hardens our heart. You want to know what a hard heart is? It's when it's about you. Most arguments happen that way. It's about me. When it's about you, your heart gets hardened. When your heart gets hardened, you can't see Jesus. So what are some of my takeaways? One, obstacles. What do you consider to be an obstacle in your life right now? Do you know that it's not an obstacle for Jesus to get you to where he wants you to be? For some reason, I believe Jesus didn't want us in that triathlon. I don't know why, but I was good with Jesus. Two, agenda. Following your own agenda, irrespective of Christ, hardens your heart. And a hard heart makes it hard to recognize Christ, even when he's walking right towards you. Can't see it. And then finally, and probably this is the overall point of both the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus walking on the water scene. We need to learn that we are dependent on Jesus, whether we're existing on green grass or existing in the middle of the sea and going nowhere. We are dependent. And I think that's the lesson that he wanted these disciples to learn. The sheep needed Jesus and they needed Jesus. Let us pray. Lord God, we, I give you thanks for this day, for this text. Help us to realize how um, dangerous it really is to just have our own agendas, to have our eyes set on what we want, on what we feel, on what we think, without ever consulting you, without talking to you, without listening to you, and doing what you want us to do, thinking like you want us to think. So help us to realize our absolute dependence upon you. We ask it and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.